Hey guys, welcome. 831 podcast episode 16. Um, <clears throat> I hope you've all been enjoying them lately. I've tried to put a few more out. Uh, the one with Warren was really cool and glorious poet. It's got some good feedback. Jack Pimlet's one's getting some great feedback, especially from people not in the paragliding world. Um, really, people really enjoyed that. Jack's a great guy. He's comes across really well at 20 years old. Really got his head screwed on. So that podcast has gone down really well. And I appreciate the people who have reached out to Jack as well. I had it, added him on social media and sent him a little message. Um, yeah, and Inglorious Poet. People have listened to his music and liked it. And he's got great feedback online as well. So it's been going well. I'm trying to push these out, keep them going. As I said, I want to try and get as many out as possible. I want to try and build this. So if you're listening to this... Go home and share one or two of the podcasts tonight. I mean, it's all I'm asking is for you to just share it. Like, pick Sasha's, the first one I did, or pick one of Nigel's and just share them. Just tell people to listen, tell people to follow, put it on your blog, put it on your Facebook, mention it on your own podcast. Whatever you do, just share. That's all I'm asking is that you share this. And so many people I talk to are going to benefit. People like Jack deserve people. Uh, following him so that he can build more of a online database which is going to help him in his career and the Inglorious Poet is obviously going to help him with promotion for next EP etc so yeah please just share if you're listening to this go out and share them just get like that, that's all we can do for each other I don't I'm not asking for your money just share the love guys just yeah just let get it so everybody else listens so please share um this episode is with Kev Maynard. Kev was my assistant in the paragliding hike and fly race, the X-Pier that I did earlier on in the year. We had a great time um, and we just discussed that a little bit. Kev had a paragliding accident recently. We talk about that. We just, it's very paragliding this one, um, but still listen, just, you know, listen. The story is interesting. Give you a little insight as to why I did the race and what I thought about the race and what the race entails. And, you know, if you've got an hour and a half to, to waste away, just listen to this. If you're on a nice long drive, um, yeah, listen to what what went on, basically. I really enjoyed it. Kev's a great guy. It was our first catch-up since the X-Pier due to his accident, etc. So, yeah, I really enjoyed this one. Really good fun. As always, the podcast is sponsored by Trojan Nutrition. Trojan have been my long-term sponsors and they will forever be a sponsor of this podcast. Contact Trojan Nutrition or Trojan Fitness. Tell them you listen to this. You know me and they'll really look after you. Also, Good Clear English. Andrew really looked after me for the uh, X-Pair. So, yeah. Look up Good Clear English, their website, etc. See what they've got to offer and contact the guys there. Again, tell them that that you listen to the show. Um, but for now, I am trying to get more guests on. If you know somebody who'd be good, it doesn't matter if I've met them. It doesn't matter if they're a doctor of psychology. It doesn't matter if they grow tulips. If you believe their story is interesting, contact me. Get them to contact me. It doesn't matter if they live in Scotland. I'll fly up there and I will do a recording with them. If they live in Paris, if their story is good enough and they're willing to talk to me, I'll get a flight to Paris and I'll go there. Um... I just want to speak to interesting people. So if you know someone and you think the story would be good, please get in contact, uh, make the link, and hopefully we can put it together. But until next time, please sit down and enjoy. Kev, um, and this is episode 16 of the 831 podcast. 
Kevin Maynard. Thanks very much, guys. Okay, so episode, I want to say 16, and we're with Kev, so Kev, thanks for joining me. That's alright, thanks for having me on the show. It's been a, it's been too long, this is long overdue, the x finished like, when did it, July, and we haven't really got together and done a catch-up since. Uh, no, we actually haven't seen each other since, uh, it was June, June actually. Yeah, end July, of, right? End of, end end of June. June it started, end, and July it finished. Maybe, but then I've... Fucked myself up in July, early July. Oh, maybe it was. It was, it was end sure? of June. Yeah, I think it was end of June. Maybe then, I can't end remember. That's weird, I can't remember the dates. Um, yeah, and then obviously we were meant to catch up, but then you obviously fucked yourself up. Slightly, <laughs> slightly. Uh, well, um, for obviously there's going to hopefully be paraglider pilots listening here, what, I, what happened with fucking yourself up, mate? So um, I was at, out in Italy at the um, British uh, Championships, the Newcomers Challenge, and we had, um, I think it was on the third day of competing, and we had uh, some slightly northeasterly wind, and we were on a north uh, uh, easterly takeoff, so we were slightly in the east side, so uh, in turbulent air, and essentially, right after takeoff, uh, my wing took a massive collapse, from sort of 80% collapse and you know kind of span down hit the ground and uh, yeah it had uh, broke my foot broke my clavicle my scapula uh, had a, a collapsed lung uh, head trauma internal bleeding you Fuck. know not good yeah not good Fuck. I didn't realize it was quite as bad like that's some big injuries. I mean, sca- broken scapula's got to be probably the worst. I mean, your uh, your collarbone is obviously gonna be it heals. It's not really used yeah. for much. Okay, but your scapula. I mean, wh- what do you ever do that doesn't involve your scapula moving? Yeah, and it was actually fractured from top to bottom. Oh. Like, because um, I was told it was a small fracture, and then I looked again when I was back in the UK because I was stuck in Switzerland for a month. So mm-hmm. I was not allowed to fly for a month because of the air pressure. So, so I couldn't get on the plane. But it happened in Italy. It happened in Italy. So you flew to Switzerland. No, so my mad. dad came to pick me up yeah. uh, in Switzerland, in uh, in Italy. Drove me back to to Geneva, and then I was stuck there, we can say, for a month oh. because I was not allowed to fly. Um, and as a result, yeah, because of my lung and, and my head, they didn't want to take the risk of uh, air pressure differences, essentially. Yeah. And and yeah, st- stay out there for a month um, before getting back to the UK. And uh, yeah, proceeded with a post treatment. Uh, still doing physio, and and yeah, still early, if you can say. So uh, the you think conditions were what played the part? It was conditions that that got you just lead a bit of rotor or. Yeah, I think I think the the wind wasn't great on the day. Um, I mean, it wasn't bad. It wasn't too strong. It was just from slightly wrong orientation. And as the takeoff has quite a lot of trees on either side. With the wing coming slightly sideways, you would get in that you know washing machine essentially, and because yeah. uh, the, there was about fifteen twenty people I would say taken off before me, without too much problem, but kind of you know you could tell it was a bit it was rough it was a bit rough, um, but yeah took off and uh, yeah, shit happens. 
Yeah, it's uh. So do you think you'd have took off on that takeoff if you weren't in a comp? It's a good question. I, I think I probably would have not. On um, your comp, we're assuming on, on comp gear. I mean, if you'd have been on a lower end glider, do you think you would have been more inclined to? Or you would have still probably said, actually, I'm not mm. going to fly? I think, I think if you just follow the book, the book, you shouldn't take... I don't think it was a good idea to take off on that day from that takeoff. Yeah. Um, kind of regardless of, of what sort of wing. Of course, it's kind of more forgiving if you have a lower end glider than a comp glider. But if I was by myself with my comp gear... I would have not taken off on that day, I think, yeah. looking back. Uh, and this is one of the biggest problems, I think, with competition. And a lot of people get into it because it's really fun. There's all your mates. You know, it's a bit like a holiday away from the, the wives and the kids. And then, you know, you, it, there's still an element of, of competition. And, you know, no one cares about the competition until you, you're clipped in your harness and then it's it's go yeah. time. Yeah, I mean, I that's something I... I picked up from the the small bits of comp flying that I've done. I like, I really dislike comp flying and I really like it. A, I dislike it because you have to do nothing but get high, stay at the top of the pack. And if you're doing it right, if you're really, really good at it, the little amount that you can, the little that you do, the better. If you're really good at comp flying, that's, that's the emphasis is to get high, stay high, let everybody else do the thinking. You just fly your glider. I hate that. I hate everything about that. I'm not saying I can do it because it takes... <laughs> like The guys who can do that are awesome. Like yeah. That's the tricky bit is being good at that. But So I dislike that. What I love about comp flying is it, it's competitive. So as soon as somebody takes off, you think, oh, fuck it, then I'm taking off. Now, I like when I'm in the air to race. Oh, I want to race. I want to race. And when you get to, say, halfway around the course and you realise guys are like, you know, a, a good few K ahead of you and they're probably not going to catch. You're mm. only sort of racing to make up the spots. It eases off a little bit, but at the same time, it's still a competition. You're, you're pushing, you're trying to push. It's just because it's getting a bit stronger and you might be having to go into the league. You're not going to decide, well, I'm not going to win this. I'm going to land anyway. You're still going to push on. That mm. that side of comp flying I like, but at the same time, as you said then, you're, gonna, you're willing to take risks to be there, to be in that competitive spot, which you're probably not going to take to fly normally or to fly for fun no definitely I, th I think one of the good thing is is I think I've evolved as a pilot when I started doing comps that I would push myself out of my comfort zone because maybe my comfort zone was too too comfortable and yeah. I was setting limit for myself but actually I could fly in strong conditions and make good decisions as well up to a certain point um, this I mean my accident I don't think is due to Com competing per se I think it's a, because there was a lot of people uh, at the moment and people took off before me so you kind of second guess yourself but it was not during a moment of actual competition yeah. that the accident happened so it's kind of I took off because there were people not because it was a competition Yeah. and you get that full sense of you know oh, oh my mates are taking off everyone is ready it must be good you know I'm equally good as these guys well I gotta do it um, yeah. so it's kind of yeah I guess you sort of get in the point as well where you you get to the point where you sort of think well I, I flew with these guys yesterday I'm I'm as good mm. a pilot and they're taking off and okay I'm going to have to be on my game a little bit today because it's a little bit but you 
Did you think you shouldn't take off before you took off, or is it in hindsight now you thought to yourself, I probably shouldn't have took off? On takeoff, can you remember thinking, well, oh, it doesn't look great, I'm not really sure we should be flying today? Or was it just more in hindsight, looking back, you think, well, maybe we should have been a bit more cautious? Well, you, you know, it's, um, it's an interesting one, because I think in hindsight, I thought it looked a bit rough-ish, but I didn't think more of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, of course, because the air is transparent, you can't see how bad the turbulences are, of course. Um, but there's actually a pilot that, um, I'm not going to name, but I heard that she loves going to comps, World Cups, and so on, because she doesn't have to make any decision. She yeah. doesn't have to look at the weather. She doesn't have to look to anything. And all she does is take it as a, as a holiday to fly with people. And she would never fly XE by herself. Ever, yeah, but she that. just turned up to comps and she says, "Well, if the race director says it's okay, it's okay. If we're gonna send us down there, it's okay. If you know, and it, you basically get someone else to make these decisions for you. And I think a lot of people find that reassuring. And you've got a retrieve. You're guaranteed a retrieve yeah, when you do a, a comp. So yeah, it kind of makes sense. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, I like everything about comp flying in the social element of it." the task setting and some people say oh it's just boring just flying tasks well you're not you're not flying comps right then in my opinion because you it's not as exciting as going out and flying your own xc even perhaps not it's not as much of an adventure but if you're going to comps just to fly xc you're doing it wrong that's not comp flying Mm. you're going to to xc fly and there's a comp on so for me comp flying is not boring if you're going to compete it will only be boring if you're going to fly the route and you're just thinking, well, I'll just get around this. Well, then, yeah, it's probably going to be boring because you're flying a set task in what is some of the most beautiful terrain or conditions in the world, because wherever it might be. Now, if you go out and you fly XC in those conditions on your own, it's going to be more fun. Oh, here's my goal. But you know what? I don't care if I make goal. It looks really good over there today. I'll head over there. That's taken away from you in comp flying, but that's not what comp flying is about. It's a competition. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a competition. It's when, like a, a fight. When when I go in and have a fight, if my fight's over in two minutes, I don't suddenly think to myself, oh, well, that was really crap. I trained for three months for that. I trained for <laughs> three months for it to be over in two minutes. So yeah. that's, you know, you're missing the, the big, I think if it, you say it's boring, you're missing the point. You're you're either too good, it's not competitive, or you're not being competitive enough. Yeah. As in, you're happy to finish 10th, but then where's the bits in? No, now what's going wrong? Why am I not making it? So, and that's, I may be, may be perceived as naive because obviously I have very limited comp flying experience but from a competitive point of view that would be my take on it yeah you know? i think you, you got to go to these comps thinking you know like guy says you got to bring your podium shirt i think yeah, if, yeah. if you're not in to to win this i don't think you should turn up on the day yeah. if you can say not that people shouldn't turn up to, to these comps you know they're the great experiences as well to learn depending what stage of your career you are as a pilot but i think when you reach the level, you have to go there thinking, I want to be number one, and I will be number one. Yeah, and I think that is something... I mean, look at Theo. So, I, I, nobody really thought Theo was going to go and win the Euros, the, the Europeans. Everyone thought he was going to do really well. A top 10 place would have been phenomenal. Everyone would have loved it. And he goes and he wins it, because he just went every day and was consistent. Mm. And that's, that's anybody who's in the BPRA, or anyone who flies for... The British team, anybody who goes and is willing to be competitive, that's that's available. You know, yeah. if you're getting yourself to the point where you where you get to the European Championships, the PWC, then if you go and you're competitive on that day, that's a, that's open for anybody to achieve that. 
Yeah. Or at least I believe it is. I don't believe that everyone is so much better than me that I can't do that as well, you know? I think that's the way you should approach comp flying. Yeah, definitely. I think that, I think there's certain limits as well that some people have. But I think if you're really willing to push in, in the comp scene, and it's not a cheap hobby either. So I think no. it's just where when I go to a comp, I, I want to get a result out of it, not just want to get on a holiday because I can go for a holiday a lot cheaper than that if I wanted to go flying. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, taking all the care to go into Italy, I was going there to get a result. And, and yeah, it is, it is an interesting, um, interesting take on, on, on that. But yeah, Theo has been really, really impressive. Um, he's flying, interesting, very cleverly, like a very old pilot, I'd say, kind of like he understands the rules, how you get the points. Because it's yeah. not about getting first in goal. It's about understanding how the pointing system works yeah. and how at the end of the week you win. And that's that. That's something Max that shows maturity. Out points yeah. and when to push and when I actually don't need to really push here because I can drop who's a task. In front. And this is yeah. yeah. Who's in front? Who's behind you? All that kind of elements. Which if you're just a competitor, just want to push out there in front. Because it's not like Formula One, where you know the first one that crosses the line wins. It's it is not like that. Yeah. And and that's where it, it does require a lot more thinking about. Um, it, as in, winning a task is one thing; winning a comp is another. Yeah, and I, I think so. Theo's very much. He's, he's brilliant. He's a great pilot. Great pilot to fly cross country within the UK. Great comp pilot. He's very calm. Um, calm. That's and, his big thing. And it's paragliding's been his life. It's you know he eats, sleeps, and breathes paragliding. He's done it since he was. 14 years old this is all he's done he's he's focused on it and i think when you have something i mean i'm obviously not i've got so many eggs in so many different baskets but i remember when i was solely competing mma and just focusing on mma i was going like four or five fight win streak you know and it's the same with with paragliding when you've got someone like theo who's concentrating solely on the one aspect of paragliding comp flying you're you would he's putting himself in the best position to achieve stuff and his mind, he is a, he's a paragliding comp pilot, you know, the way that he thinks, the way that he approaches it. And he's loving doing it as well, which makes it all the much better. So, yeah, it's nice to watch, nice to see. Mm. But for me, I, I mean, especially after this summer, I think uh, the hike and fly side of things, I knew, I knew that it was going to be something that I enjoyed just from seeing it and, and watching the X Alps and stuff. And then obviously getting into the X pier this year. I really had a, a chance to sort of go for it, you know. And now that I've done it and we've done it together, I know that yeah, that's that's where I could really focus my attention. I could really put my efforts into mm. to the hiking fly side of things. It just it 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 was so much more than I thought it was going to be. You know, I don't know how the race was perceived for you, but I, when I was going into it, I knew it was a hiking fly race. I knew the premise of what you had to do. But when we actually competed in the race. It was so much more. There were so many more different elements yeah. to it, you know? It's interesting because I've had people asking me how, how is it as a, as a paragliding race and, and stuff. And I'm like, it's not. It is a different sport altogether. Like, I don't think people realize how difficult hiking fly is. I mean, you go to, well, I went to the Xperia assisting you and then going to the Italian comp. And I thought that was piss easy. You know, you wake up at nine, Get a coffee, a little croissant. Yeah. You get a little, like driver brings it to the top. Oh, the wing falls a bit. Someone opens it for you. I yeah. mean, it is like champagne caviar paragliding compared to the hike and fly, where 
just everything possibly can go wrong. And that's yeah. what happened to us in a way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just possibly everything yeah. can go wrong. And I think it's just so many mistakes or small mistakes can have such a huge consequences. As in paragliding racing, you know, you you can't you can limit the damage in a way. Like you you mess up a task, well that's just your task. As there it's like, well, you messed up that thermal, well, you're going to have to hike out for six hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And this is After where... waiting for six hours. Yeah. So you've it... waited for six hours and not made any any roads, any uh, movement on the road. Now you've took off, you've missed the thermal, now you've got a six-hour yeah. hike out. Just to get... Yeah, it's the, the margin for error is really small um, because the consequences can be so much more massive than just yeah. missing a climb with a, with a gaggle. It's interesting how... In a way, you've got such a small, you know, small mistake in a hike and flight race. Oh, you can't get over that coal, you can't get over that mountain, whatever. And and then you've lost 40k. And then the next day, you know, you're in a valley with crap weather. And then the guys that are 40k ahead, they yeah. got brilliant weather and they're just putting on 100k on you. Yeah. And then, and that's why I think is it's for the people back home in following the Yixalp and in, in the experience stuff, it's you don't just get that feeling that you know, how difficult it is. And it's like, oh, but where's is behind by, you know, 100K? It's like, you don't know what these 100Ks means. It is, it doesn't mean the same thing than cross-country yeah. 100Ks and, you know, a couple of hours of flying. It is a different, it's a different sport. Yeah, I I, uh, I completely agree. And I think, so we, I think we were the, we were definitely the least experienced team in yeah. that, you know, I had very little mountain flying experience, never done a hike and fly race before. You'd never done a hike and fly race before. No. Never assisted in a hike and fly race before. No. Um, but no. at the same time, I think we were, I honestly believe we were one of the best prepared as a team. I think so food wise, we really got on it and we prepped loads of food. As it turns out, we didn't need most of the food because we over, we massively over, overdid yeah. the food prep. But at the same time, we were prepared for anything. If we'd have been stuck on a mountain for three days in a row, we'd have been we'd have survived. Yeah, you know? food, we, were yeah. good. we were completely good with that. If if there wasn't all these little shops here and there, or we didn't get a, a jeet or a something the first night, then we were prepared for whatever happened. We, I never had to worry that we wouldn't have food or anything waiting for mm. us because that was prepared. And then, from a, an assistance point of view, like you, it's hard to appreciate how much work you're putting in for me when I'm absolutely fucking knackered yeah. and my feet are falling apart. It's hard to appreciate how much work you're putting in for me. And then afterwards, when I sat down and I thought about it and I'm assessing video and I see little clips of you getting my wing ready and, and you think, fuck, man, because you're up for as long, if not longer than I am. You're walking. You walked a lot with me as well. But everything, I got onto, onto the side of a hill, I put my bag down, you pick it up, everything's laid out, wings checked for me, lines checked for me, everything's there, well Wes, you might be here for three hours, but your wing's ready to go, you've got to get in your mm -hmm. harness and go, and other, I was looking around, and other teams didn't have that, they weren't, their assistant yeah. wasn't doing that, you know, so their wing was still in their bag, and it's like, if the conditions come on, then yeah. we'll get it out, my stuff was ready to go, I knew all I had to do was jump in, you'd taken care of everything, I knew that, you wouldn't say you're ready to go and I'd have a line twist. I knew it was all taken care of, inspected. And that's hard to appreciate until... During the race. I mean, yeah. that's... Yeah. Because yeah. it feels like it's normal in a way. I mean, it is... It's kind of... I think the I think the problem that I, I, I felt during the race was to understand how tired you were. And I think it's 
after the race again when we had um, you know a couple of nights sleeping. Uh, which which city was it? Hatcho. Yeah, and then I kind of really understood. I was like, oh yeah, the guy was just knackered. Like you could make a decision for for his life depending yeah. on it. And that's that's where we get really tricky because you kind of like, as an assistant, you what the name is assistant. You know, the secretary doesn't call the shot in a bank. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah. and this is kind of like where you kind of, you don't want to step on, on your toes because you're doing a new analysis and stuff, but it is just, just grueling the amount of effort like day in, day out on, on these races. Yeah. I mean, so going back and let's say from day one, um, really well prepped for the start, felt great, except for the biggest thing for me was my diet day one um you know i completely fucked up and approached it completely wrong and i thought i was going to approach the race ketogenically because that's how i live my life so i woke up and i mean i had a really good breakfast a really big omelet lots of cheese um i think we had bacon in it and stuff and i felt really good i had some stuff to snack on while we were waiting for the race to start and then 10 a.m race starts go off five miles in feel great feet are hot but feel great. I know I'm probably sixth, about five miles in, ten miles in. I'm now like fifteenth, sixteenth, really starting to get cramps and really starting to get tired. And I was like, "Shit, what the, what's going on? I never get cramps mm. like this, you know." And then, so then you guys meet me by our accommodation. And you're like, how are you? I was like, I feel good, but I'm getting cramps and my feet are hot. And I, I try and just push on a bit more, and it was just hitting me really bad cramps and then when I met up with you guys again at the bottom of uh, La Run yeah that it just hit me about a third of the way up underneath that tree yeah it hit me all of a sudden everything just hit me just my body just shut down I was like yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fucked and I didn't know what to do because cardio wise I felt brilliant you know like my feet felt good but every muscle in my body was cramping and spasming and I'm like what what the fuck do I do? Do I just get loads of carbs into me? Am I gonna do this ketogenically? If I'm not, am I? I'm, I know I'm not dehydrated. You you guys are giving me good hydration, so I'm like fuck. I don't. And it's like my body's shutting down, and I don't know why. And I'm so frustrated because I knew I, I, I knew I'd put myself right in with a good chance of being like you know top ten off of that run. I knew that. I'll, I'll push. Further, I'd say that looking back as well is I think that first day set up such a bad rhythm for us that I genuinely think, and this is the, the way I've kind of thought in my head, is like, okay, maybe you got 10th or 15th at the top of La Rune as yeah. we took off last from La Rune. Mm-hmm. Um, we would have gone over the pass, you yeah. know, where we, we, so where we slept at the bottom, we've gone over that pass. Yeah carried on towards uh, saint jean pied Yeah. It would have carried on there. And then from that first day, we would have done about 60K. Yeah. I think this plus, 60K yeah. plus. Cause I, Second I mean, day, pick, pick uh, Dory. And I think, you know, we would have pushed quite, quite fast like that. And I reckon we would have ended up tagging, uh, just about tagging uh, Pig Dimitri. Pick... Um, Midi, yeah, Peter Midi. Yeah, yeah, I think we would have ended up the race when Kriegel, you know, ended the race. I think we would have gone all the way there. Yeah. But because we set that bad speed, I think we were doing, you know, on that first day very slow. But then the second day we got we were slow as well because of our first day. Yeah. And then that impacted every day. 
that yeah. we were never hundred percent speed wise. Yeah. I mean, you were running like a rabbit, like. Yeah. I mean, but, it's one of the... you know, it was just yeah. catching up, and that's the problem with catching up on own mistakes. Yeah, exactly. And the first day was a. Uh... So when we had our flight, when I took off the run and I flew the first uh, 25k or 24k or whatever as I flew off the run, which was a good flight in retrospect, looking yeah. back at the time. So I had a good flight, landed, still cramping. I walk up to the hill, get a load of food in me, excuse me, get a, get a drink, get some fluids, chill out, 20 minutes, boom, I'm ready to go, start hiking. Then we get up to where we have the second flight from. Yeah. And I have a really good flight off good of there. Good glide, yeah. Yeah, good glide. Really maximised the line. Got about, I don't know, 14K when everyone else did about eight or something, you know. Did really well. Landed. Got straight on my feet. We moved on. Got to the Jeep. When we got to the Jeep, I was like, you know what? We've done all right now. I'm, I'm happy. Mm. Like, I had a really bad start. But I feel good. I'm still cramping, but I don't feel too bad. Sat in the river. Rehydrated. Ate my food. Straight to bed. And I got up the next morning thinking, what, I'm going to be... I'm all right with this and we're going to be okay now, you know. I've got myself back. I'm in like 21st, I think I was or something. So I'm like, okay, right, I'm happy. Get a bit, got a bit, got up the next morning. Boom, up and away. Everything like looking good. I felt good, still a little bit crampy. and had any carbs still, still stuck with keto. Massive mistake again. Um, really good start to the day. And I knew then that on the road, I'm going to be all right. Like my feet fucking hurt and... I'm not going to be as fast as Tom Cockanea. There's no two ways about it. But I'm going to be all right on the road. If it comes to on the road, I can hold my own. And if I've got to walk 60k today, I know I'll do 60k. So I knew I was going to be okay then. And then I fucking ripped my glider day two. Yeah. And then, like, so we had a shit start to day one. Great start to day two. Get myself in a really good position. Wins there. Fucking um, uh, Lucas takes off. I pull my glider up and I rip my flipping line break my lines on my glider and i was like shit how can it get worse than this mm. you guys come back help me but by then you know i'm what am i there i'm a good three hours probably behind the people i was in front of i'm now ali had overtaken me i was like 15k yeah. in front because you decided to walk uh, run down the pass instead of flying instead down. of flying down um, but interesting enough on that day is even though with all these mistakes I still think it's one of our good days because we ended up at the same camp as Lucas and the other Australian guy which I can't remember his name yeah um, um, uh, not Joran Joran oh. he had quite a bit of a bad bad landing if yeah. you can say that day yeah. but it is Air crazy because and this is what I find annoying I mean annoying frustrating we can say with our performance in a way which i don't think reflects our level or the energy or whatever because i think i mean no disrespect to to any of the competitors but you know we fucked up massively on thursday fucked up massively i mean with rip the glider and stuff and we still end up at the same place that other guys are flying from yeah and and this is what kind of i think what would have happened had we had a good start yeah. you know good dive right off the bat good flying as well because you, know, you were absolutely shattered on when you on the first day from yeah, the room. Yeah. I mean, I was I, I run to get you some salt. Sorry. <laughs> just, just flying there with it your, was so your bad. legs up in the air. I couldn't lay down. I couldn't stand up and I couldn't sit down. The cramps were unbelievable. And, you know, I, I was up... Ali got off an hour before me. Yeah. And I was up there, like, before him. I got up to the top of the room before him. Ali got off an hour before me because I physically couldn't fly because of cramp. I was just cramping so badly. I just, I just had to sit and wait and watch Ali and these guys take off. And then... Uh, it was so, 
I don't know. Like that was diet, one hundred percent my fault. You you boys couldn't have been better. You and Troy on that first day could not have been better for me. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, even to the point of where you started walking for me, and then you're just literally you're just over. Like, Come on, just one foot, move your next foot, and the next foot. I know you're cramping, but next foot, let's get the next foot. And then you're like, right, I'm gonna run on ahead, and I'm gonna get you squash, and I get, and you ran on to yeah. the top of the run. You got me so everything was just great, that was superb. And then day two was just a mental thing for me. It was just, you know, I, as soon as I landed, it was really stable. There was no chance of flying. It, we had a little talk. We were like, right, you've either got to walk through the valley, which I think came out to about 42K, I think I walked that it day. Was, yeah, it was about a marathon. Yeah. And then you're like, well, you'd walk through the valley or we go and we try and find somewhere to take off from, but we need to cover these kilometres, you know? Yeah. And I was like, right, let's just start walking. You guys go ahead. And then... That was it. Just hours of pounding the road and pounding the road and monotonous and, you know, just got to shut yourself away. But I was happy. I like I knew this was going to be the biggest test, you know. That yeah. was going to be the biggest test for me. And I got my head down. I got on with it. You guys went on. We looked at some options. You drove on. You even watched the Spanish guys take off from yeah. somewhere. And you're like, I don't think it's a good idea. Just stay on the road. Yeah. And we did. And we beat them. We got to yeah. the turn point yeah. two, right where we ended day two. We, um... We got there before them, you know, and I made places back up. Guys who were well in front of me, caught them back up yeah. at the end of the day. And we got there at quarter past nine, so I had an extra 45 minutes rest from the 10, 10 p.m. So I was happy. It was, you know, it was it was shit, but it was also, I was happy at the, the yeah. end of day two. I think on that day two as well, what, one thing I started realising as well is in the calculations of flying versus walking is that if you are, you know, got a hike up for two hours get your kit ready and then start flying. If you were in the valley, you've done 20K. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? If, if, you, if, if the road is roughly straight going towards the turn point at you know, six kilometers an hour in three, three and a half hours, you've covered a lot, a lot of ground. And yeah. that's one thing that sometimes people think, and we used to get messages, oh guys, there's a takeoff there and this and that. And it's kind of like, yeah, it, flying is always great, but in actual, if you can, if you can hack it, the the walking on the road flat is not a bad really yes. not a bad because thing because hiking on that that day on that crazy mountain it was so hot as well yeah. it must have been 32 33 degrees that day i mean you were not going to fly very far yeah yeah definitely no yeah it was it was it's too hot for that sort of thing it's too hot for those decisions and then you think let's say you're fast and you get all your care and your glider ready in 10 minutes that's super fast if you yeah. can do that everything done you're in your kit you're ready to take off 10 minutes you get off into the air you have a 10k glide you land again 10 minutes really quick to pack everything away get everything and 10 minutes would be quick by the time you've packed your glider stuffed it in the bag because i know it's lightweight and you're it's easy to pack so say but you're putting it into the smallest little bag that you can possibly get mm. a glider into so let's say 10 minutes to do all of that well those extra 20 minutes or so and the little glide you better be sticking off on the road so you, just get your head down and get on it. Well. yeah less tired, less tired yeah so if it's not about i think the only time you hike up a hill is to maximise your glide. There's no good doing yeah, it. Just I started realising that if we're not going to fly 30k, there's no real point. Yeah. Unless it's, we're talking about flying over a mount or something that, a bit more specific. That's the thing. You have to fly over coals. Yeah, exactly. If, if you're yeah. flying over coals, then yes, it can definitely. be worth it. Yeah, if yeah, I can yeah. do 5k, but it's over a coal yeah. and it's taken away 60k, then 100% is worth yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. But other than that, I mean, it was so hard to do that in the Pyrenees this year. Like, the stable days you could not you couldn't get as high as the it felt like a sea breeze day yeah you know it, like in it's like in in the uk you just get that suddenly you get that air and then it's just like it's just blue yeah and there's just nothing and it's just 
it looks you think there's thermals you see there's vultures everywhere but they're not really really climbing no they're like for an hour and they've climbed 10 feet you know like yeah. just literally watch them for an hour just circle around and do nothing go nowhere mm. and that's why you have to be sensible um which comes down to experience yeah. and then uh day three getting up to uh glory that was uh, that, a beautiful walk. I think that was the best moment of I of underestimated race. how big the walk was, though. And that little walk along that cull. Now, that little... I don't know what you'd call it. That little walk along that... Yeah, like that, a... Uh, the spine? Yeah, like the spine, probably. Yeah. I literally... I was so tired, and my feet were killing at this yeah. point. And I was like... I ended up sitting on my ass to walk over bits where I would jog across there yeah, now, yeah, you know? Yeah. But I, my mentally, I was so tired... I still hadn't eaten any carbs at this point. I hadn't carb loaded. Yeah. And um, I'm tired. My feet are really sore. Every foot, I was thinking, I'm going to fall in a minute. Like 700 foot drop one side, 300 foot drop next. I'm like, I'm going to fucking fall off of here. And you're scooting across there like a mountain goat. Because in actuality, it wasn't that bad. But, oh, yeah. But the way that you feel is you can't, you can't, I couldn't motivate myself no. for it either. We had that tough walk as well in, in the forest where we couldn't yeah. figure out the path. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's actually one thing that I, I kind of realised as well. In the Pyrenees, it's not the Alps. As in, in the Alps, all the paths are really well signposted and you've got marks on the trees. And you can't go wrong, really. Yeah. Pyrenees is wild. It's just wild terrain. And that's, that's even though we, we've had, I had looked up where the guys previously last year when we had these apps that the Austrians were giving us that to use and stuff and still with all that you got no networks you don't have no GPS yeah. I mean it is it yeah. is difficult and that's the small things that can can make you go crazy you don't waste really a lot of time but you just make you go crazy yeah. and of course problem. I'm miserable snappy yeah. tired and I'm like I don't want to fucking think about anything you yeah. should be thinking about this and that's what that's what was so good about you is that you at no point did you antagonize my frustration because it would have been so easy to just be like, well, shut the fuck up. I'm doing my best well, <laughs> but that would have been no good. So I mean, no, in actuality, no. <laughs> I mean, in actuality, that's what yeah. you needed to say to me. Like, shut the fuck up. I'm trying to help you, but you just have to listen to me moan. And it's like, it's like mm. you really understood like, he must be fucked. Like, I'm not the one who's yeah. got to fly in a minute. I'm not the one who's trying to get to her to take off. He must be tired. And you, you sort of understood it. So I'm moaning. And I'm saying, care for fuck's sake. All we got to And you just sort of like, yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm on it. I'm sort of... And it, for me, the mental state for me is not even that I was... It's so, it's so hard to say because I wasn't... Um, in my head, I was just sort of like... I'm, why am I thinking? Why, why am I thinking? I just need to walk. I'll walk. Just show me which way to walk. And I just had it in my head that all I needed was to say, go that way. And I just got my head down and walked. But logistically, it's not like that. We're in the middle of a forest yeah. where we're looking at some points that we might see a shoe print in the mud, which might give us a sign if we're going yeah. the right way. I think it's interesting as well on, on that. Uh, looking back, you know, we, we rely so much on technology these days that the day technology fails us, we're fucked. Fucked. And had we had a compass, like a just good old fashioned compass, yeah. I think it could have been. We need to be heading, you know, whatever that east, whatever. Yeah. Boom! It would just hit the terrain, and then we would have been a paper map and a compass would have been brilliant. It would have been brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's the thing. The Pyrenees, there is such terrible network. Uh, yeah. I think Kriegel was saying as well that logistically the Pyrenees is a nightmare compared to the Alps. 
because you're just passing from valleys to valleys and there's no network anywhere. And uh, we definitely felt that on these, these couple of days where you rely 100% on the technology and it's just... Uh, yeah. yeah. But the Austrians were saying that they struggled as well finding the path. Yeah. We're not the only ones. Yeah, it was hard. Like, it was hard. Like, looking back at it now, and yeah, but but when I got up to the to Pitori, I was fucked again. Like I sat yeah. down, and I was like, everything had just drained out of me, and then you know I didn't have enough water on me. We drank so much water on the way up that when I sat down, that Spanish guy offered me water. I was like, no, I'm good, thanks. And in realism, I wasn't. I only yeah. took five hundred mil with me. Next minute, I'm six hours without you guys. Got no yeah. fluids, and you know that was. I mean, that was your two's worst day when you didn't come up to where I said to come to. Yeah. That was your two's worst day. But at the same time, my worst day as well because what that's where the lack of mountain flying came in for me because I was in the air and I could see I couldn't climb high enough to get over the next valley. I knew yeah. I could make the top of that. Because you were with Ali and who was it? Uh, the Spanish guy. Yeah, I can't remember his name. Ramon? Man. Sounds very stereotypical. <laughs> <laughs> Javier Ramon <laughs> oh, Ramon that, that's, that's Ham Ramon Iberico um, I can't remember his name but that doesn't sound right um, oh, I want to see oh, can't remember his name anyway yeah so yeah so I anyway I Ali reached uh, Ali reached a peak about an 100 foot above me managed to turn in something that I couldn't turn in because I was at the same height as the uh, ridge so Ali pushed on I landed, moved along the ridge, took off again. Really good decision. I, I, I made. I was in the lee, but I waited for a thermal to come through. Got into it, climbed, and I could see if I go over the back with this climb, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna get over the next ridge. I know that. And if I get over the next ridge, am I gonna be stuck there? Am I gonna be stuck up the top of a mountain? If I glide down the valley, I've wasted all my height. What should I do? Oh, but what if I get back? And that's where the experience came in because I shouldn't have been second guessing. Yeah, and it's good to explain as well that that day uh, where you were was trees everywhere. Yeah. And down in the valley was very windy and turbulent. There was a guy that threw his reserve on the way down and he was like, you know, he was not pretty to watch. Yeah. So I think this is where also sometimes from looking at home on Google Maps at the race and like, oh, why don't you just, it's like, no, but also I couldn't get a hold of you, is... and I couldn't get a hold of you yeah. to see what it was like in the no. valley. So I'm at the t- I'm you know two thousand two hundred meters or something, and uh, I'm trying to ring you guys, and I'm on trying to radio to say like, what's it like in the valley? Should I glide down? Can't get hold of oh, you. No. And then I remember sending you a picture of there's like a restaurant on the side of the hill, and I was like, I think I can maybe land in the garden of this place, and you were like. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. I haven't seen it, but it's not great down here. And uh, but if I'd had more mountain flying experience and more Pyrenees experience, I'd have just taken that climb that I was in, knowing I wouldn't have got over the next ridge. But I thought, right, if I can just get to the top of that next peak, if I can side land there, I'm up nice and high. And even if my team can't get hold of me, I can glide into the valley. Yeah. That's what I'd do. And I'd maybe I'd have been at Hetcho. I'd have basically glided into Hetcho. I'd have got over, I'd have been one valley away from Hecho. I could have scrambled up to the top at, say, three o'clock and glided down into Hecho. Would have put me perfect for the for yeah. the next day. But the inexperience there meant I didn't. I second-guessed myself in a situation where I didn't need to second-guess myself. Just go with it. Because you go were with, with the, the Austrian that was with, when you land, top-landed. Yes. And he went up and took off. And we saw him at the bottom of the valley near... It wasn't in Hecho, it was in the valley just behind, yeah. uh, before Hecho. 
Um, I think that day also showed, um, I think it, particularly that day showed that we probably didn't know each other enough on the personal level, if you can say, that I didn't recognize uh, and Troy neither that you were that tired, yeah. that dehydrated, that, dehydrated yeah. that hungry. Yeah. And, and to us, we were kind of like, I was just looking for where you were, you know, I could be like, well, just take off, you know, but like kind of, and this is, it's like, yeah, but you got a picture of the guy, literally just top of a mountain with yeah. the vultures waiting oh, a couple of hours we'll have a, <laughs> we'll eat yeah. some British sausages <laughs> yeah and, and that's that's where I think also in terms of of this this race I think we didn't do enough training not even actually physically or whatever just kind of knowing where are the boundaries where are like no okay, where, where about, can fly no, in yeah. that kind of weather yeah. where can't do this can do that uh, yeah. or and vice versa as well they're kind of like oh he's confident in this and this yeah. is where I think the good teams also come in place like that, but they, they'll be confident on, on the advice of saying, yeah, go for this, go for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's not, it's not easy, not yeah. easy at all. It's no, it wasn't. And then that, that was such a low point. But then that night we ate French fries and pizza and that was fucking brilliant. Just at that. Cause I thought the race is going to be over now. I thought that is it. I yeah. was so dehydrated that there's no way I'm going to recover by tomorrow had heat stroke that night was the worst night's sleep because i was getting like hot and cold flushes couldn't sleep typical times of heat stroke but i ate so many carbs and i woke up the next morning and i think you and troy were a bit like is he gonna carry on what's he got and i was like ah, let's go let's get yeah. ready let's go and that was good you know like i was uh, at certain points you know you're gonna be a prima donna and you're gonna be a bit of a bitch and you're gonna moan and you're gonna be a little girl yeah, you want to be a fucking fanny. croissants with ham which is just not exist out there <laughs> What do you want? I want a croissant with ham. Ham and cheese. It's like, we can't find a bakery. It's, it's 1pm. They're close to 7. I know. But I just, when you're walking along, because yeah. I remember that, that the, the, organ, the press guys came along, like, how are you doing? I was like, I'm good. I had a really bad day yesterday, but I'm good. Like, What's the plan today? I was like, well, I'm going to walk to Hecho by lunch. They're like, no, you can't get to Hecho by lunch. Like, no, Will. They're like, it's 27 kilometres. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to Hecho. They're like, no. You're like, no, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I'm going to do that. And, and they're like, did. okay, well. And then I just remember just getting there and I'm like, how far to go now? And then Harry tried to find us that little bit to take off, which didn't yeah. work. You know, that's another thing. Two flats. Google Earth images was for last year. It didn't look anything like that now. Um, it, you could have maybe took off in there if the wind wasn't coming over the back, yeah. but it was. I think the problem as well is how you could take into consideration how tired you are at that yeah, point. Yeah. How, you know... It's, it's it's a difficult call because of course you want to fly everyone wants to fly the whole point is flying but this, at the end of the day as I was saying it's not a, a competition like a paragliding race it's a hiking flight race Yeah. and it starts with hike it ends with fly yeah. <laughs> and that actually says a lot it's not flying hike yeah yeah exactly and uh, yeah so that day like, I just remember just thinking we stopped at a little town first, didn't we? We stopped somewhere to get something to eat and there was yeah. nowhere to get anything to eat. Yeah, it was shut. Tapas, yeah. And then we had that little tapas. It was lush. Yeah, it was really that was nice. Good. That gave me the boost. And then I remember pushing on and I just remembered like you guys had gone ahead and I tried to ring you and you, I couldn't get hold of you. Troy came back along and I was like, what's he going to do? He's ordering you some food. I was like, he's not ordering me an omelette, is he? He went, I think he's ordering your omelette. He said, you said you want an omelette. I was like, that's a couple of hours ago. I do not want an omelette now. Can't face an omelette. And I, he's like, well, it's going to shut. I didn't want to. I just started running alongside the van. I was running. I just didn't want an omelette anymore. Like my, my mood had changed so much over the last mm. two hours 
the thought of eating an omelette now was disappointing, you know? And I was like, no omelette. I just remember running and I got there and I got to you and you'd ordered me like um, eggs and French fries and it was lush. It was yeah, just mix, perfect. Mix of things, yeah. It was just perfect. It was when I sat down and ate. As soon as I got, as soon as I switched and started putting carbs in my diet, I was a different person, you know? Like mentally, I was just a different person. My feet had fallen apart by then, but mentally, I was just a different person with carbs in me. I thought it was interesting because I, I remember reading this article about um, Michael Phelps and yeah. how he used to be on this mad diet that was like, you know, a lot of junk food on, on, on paper and you think like he was eating a pizza and then he had like eggs and you, had, and you think, how is this guy any fit? And it's kind of like what you needed because the day you started doing these cheat meals in a way, it's like, well, finally you had a, some calories, you know, fueling the tank. Really. Yeah, because I couldn't, there was no way I could get enough fat in for energy, but I wasn't I didn't I wasn't putting enough salt in to replenish my body. I didn't have enough nutrients for my muscles. I didn't so I was literally putting enough in to get through the day. But you can't live like that there. Like I mean there's no you can't do that race where yeah, the the heat's you're massively dehydrating and you know, I'm burning probably burning off 10,000 calories a day, I would say, you know. Like, by the time you're walking, if you're walking 30 miles a day over mountains, 1,800 meter ascent, you know, the calorie intake is huge. I just wasn't hitting it until we got to Hecho and I really started to hit it, hit that food hard. And we had that meal on the nighttime in yeah. that restaurant. That was really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah probably really was. Good. The, it was probably bad, but at that point, everyone was so hungry. Yeah, <laughs> so hungry. That steak was there. Like, I find this restaurant and we ate there. It was absolutely divine. Yeah. But um, yeah, and then we came coming into what was day five. Yeah. yeah, no, day four. Was day four when we arrived? Yeah, day four we arrived in Hecho. Yeah. Was the walk. So day five we... um We hiked to the, the uh, takeoff. Hiked up to the takeoff at Hecho. Yeah. And uh, it was tricky, you know. We were there yeah, by, by 9.30, 10 o'clock. I'm just sat there till like one. Just yeah. sat and just watched and there was near wind. Was and then all of a sudden just... It just switched on and... Yeah, and then I just... I got, got into a firm and I didn't... I was really happy with how I flew that day because I took off and I got that climb and I pushed back into the big stuff and I was doing okay and then the sky was just overdeveloping and overdeveloping. Crazy, yeah. Then it was thunderstorms and I'm watching them and seeing rain just pelt down. I was like, I can't, what do I do here? Like, what the fuck? And I'm flying over the top of these forests and there's just plumes of pollen or dust being just sucked out of them where the air was so crazy. It was just sucking plumes of dust out of the trees. And uh, I remember looking and thinking, right, I need to top land because I can't fly into that thunderstorm. I need to top land. And mm. I top land and I rang you guys. I was like, right, I'm going to... I landed somewhere, but there's a shelter. I'm going to carry on walking. If need be, I'll get in the, the shelter. I'll be okay. And then that's when you said, like, you know, the van's broke. So what's yeah. going to happen? Fucking Troy. Fucking <laughs> Troy. Fucking <laughs> Troy. That is, like, one of the dodgiest, like car breakage I've ever seen because usually it's like mechanical and I don't know there's something happened there's just a piece of plastic that literally this is what happened the van broke because a piece of plastic snapped it's crazy and it's like you can't drive this this thing this is like what two tons whatever yeah, yeah. because a piece of a hook made of plastic broke yeah look we're, and we're talking oh. in in retrospect we're talking about 
something that's maybe one inches long by half an inch wide mm. in a hook shape. That broke, and then you no longer had a clutch pedal. That's yeah. it's ridiculous. It's retarded that that is what puts out the race. Because, I mean, I, I don't think I'd have been able to fly much more that day. The weather had gone really bad. But on feet, on foot, I'd have been good again. You know, I was carved up. I would have glide, glided down into the valley, the yeah. next valley across. Yeah. And I'd have been good. Get on foot, boom, and start it's walking. Point, yeah. And then I think I would have... Uh, you think it could have been okay and I'd have pushed on. My body felt good. I was happy at this point. We were getting on really well. We'd had all the shit that we could possibly have. And it's like, listen, we've snapped at each other. We shouted at each other. It's been, we've been tired. We've been stressed. But we having a, we're having a laugh and we're having fun yeah. as well at the same time, you know, because that was the thing. It, it was fun. It was really fun. It was an adventure. And it was a good learning experience. But we were still in it. We were still... Because mm. I think... It's an adventure race, right? But you're only racing if you're at the top end, in, the, in say, the top five. They're racing. If you're in the middle, you're sort of stuck in no man's land. When you're at the back, you're having an adventure. Yeah. And we were having an adventure, you know? Everything was... It was really good. It was a lot of fun. It was an adventure. And at this point, I was like, let's get the, the adventure carry on. I'm ready to keep going, you know? I've got two more days in me. I know I'm not going to come third, but... I'm ready, let's go to keep pushing. And then the fucking van. Troy broke the van. Fucking Troy. Fucking Troy. Who? <laughs> I mean, he had one job. One job. To be a driver. Yeah. And he was useless at it, to be fair. I know he listened to this as well. <laughs> no, it was... Uh, I think you two in the van was a good dynamic. In that you had to, I think that was a good, good idea to have a driver. 100%. I don't think... It's realistic having just one person as an assistant. If you want to do a good job, it is just not realistic. No, not unless you're putting in big, big flights. Yeah. If you're putting in big flights, it's not so bad. If you're in the air for five hours and yeah. the assistant's just got to drive to where you're going to get to land. Brilliant. Yeah. But otherwise, I don't think it's realistic. No, I, I agree. No, I agree. But other than that, I think, uh, yeah, from our point of view, our team point of view... Inexperience cost us. No two ways about it. Inexperience cost us. But other than that, I wasn't disappointed with any of the decisions. I don't think I made any stupid decisions. I don't think I made any dangerous decisions. I, I was willing to fly in any conditions that were there. I didn't. No conditions put me off. Um, I don't think you tried to push me into anything I didn't want to do, and I don't think you tried to talk me out of stuff that I wasn't that I was trying to do. So I think. Yeah, overall, it's a good. It was a good race. Uh, Inexperience was really our, our downfall. That we we didn't we had not gone on the course. Yeah. We had not you know looked you know the pass, the mountains, the airflow, whatever. We didn't even look too much yeah. at that. I mean, even we got if like we just, tourist, even we got if like we'd gone really. on a walking holiday and we'd have walked up to Victoria. Even if we'd have done that, yeah. we'd have put ourselves in a much better position. Because 100%. before we started that walk, we'd have known what we were getting ourselves into. We'd have known which way to head. That that would have made a massive difference. Just a walking holiday in the Pyrenees yeah. would have made a huge Knowing difference. Knowing what's behind a valley. Yeah. Doing like, okay, that valley, the learning option, this one, nope. Uh, and that just, just helps as well a lot, definitely. Yeah, for your confidence, just for when you're flying. To be able to think about as little as possible when you fly, in that in a hike and fly environment to be able to to not have to think about anything is is massive that's a, what a reward and i think that's where 
Kriegel never has to think really when he flies because whatever's over the next pass, he will have seen a million times and dealt with a million times. So he can just push on back there and he's never going to find something that he's not going to be able to deal with or not be able to handle, which I might be in exactly the same position, but because I haven't done that, I don't know. The confidence Mm. isn't there for me. He can confidently just go, I'm going here, 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 and he can get away with it because he doesn't have to worry. It's so different though. The the Pyrenees is also a very difficult terrain that in the Alps, you know, let's say you do a race, you go from Albertville down to, to Nice, it's it's like a motorway as in like you're always down close to the valley there isn't really any point where you're really lost in the middle of nowhere kind of you know what i mean it's kind of like as there it is hopping valleys from valleys and sometimes what you did flying would be three hours driving for us yeah for literally nothing no distance and that's one thing as well the pyrenees not knowing the pyrenees in general was something quite difficult yeah and there are valleys that are completely unlandable yeah, oh like, yeah. yeah. And like four valleys in a row, completely unlandable. You have to do a 30k flight, otherwise you can't land anywhere. There's zero places to land, you know? No. Which is disconcerting when you're looking at it from the top of a mountain before you've even flown. You're like, shit, where do I... If I do go there, then what? Yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, you, I think you need to... The the Pyrenees takes a lot of respect. And I mean, I still want to... I'll, I'll still do a trip... This next coming season, I'll hopefully do a couple of hike and fly events there. Because, you know, 2020, it'd be nice to get in for 2020. Um, what would your thought be? Would you like to do a hike and fly race yourself, compete? Or are you thinking like you'd like to assist again at some point? Or um, I think I'd definitely, for this season, I definitely want to take on some hike and fly like by myself. Mm-hmm. By myself, like, no in a car. As a competitor? No, as a oh, as, yeah, yeah. yeah. So maybe, some more Volbiv stuff? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Then maybe take on like a two-day race with a friend or something like yeah. that, like kind of uh, in the Alps somewhere, I kind of know, just to get like that that kind of glo- going as well. And, and you know, 2020, yeah, why not expire again? You know, yeah. I'll, I'll be up for it. Yeah. I'll be up for it. I think, I mean, I, so for me, from my plan, I'm definitely going to enter 2020. Um, hopefully I'll get in and I would 100%, you'd be the first person I'd ask to be my assistant, cool. 100%. Because I think the dynamic, work, dynamic worked really well. I really like how even when it got to the shittest, I never did it feel so uncomfortable. Whereas, like, oh, fuck, we're going to fall out. We're going to have a row. Yeah. It was just literally like, fucking, I'm a miserable prick who shouted. And then you've just took it, got on with what needed to be done, or ignored it, which was perfect. Mm. Like, you didn't fucking poke the beast who... Because you know it's just that I'm tired and I'm thinking about too many things. Yeah. And you know that. And it's like you took that on really well, you know. As a, When you get like a big powerful ego who doesn't want to be shouted at or doesn't want to fucking be questioned or doesn't... Who then starts poking your back and it's like, well, I'm fucked. Like, I don't really mean any of this. I yeah. just don't want the small talk. I just want to say, just fucking get on with it. And what I actually mean is thanks for all your help. Like, do you know what I mean? Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just difficult to pronounce it <laughs> yeah, at, yeah. at that point. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And you understood that really well and I think that was brilliant. And then every time, like, you know, I'd come up to some things, you'd just be there with a smile. Like, oh, you did really well there. This is great. These people are here. And you went on and you find this, right, I've gone forward and I find out you're never going to believe this is going to be brilliant. You're going to catch the BGD guys. They're up there waiting for yeah, you. Come on, yeah. all you got. Boom, the little boost that that gave yeah. me, you know. To, to know what to say there was brilliant. So you would, yeah, you'd 100, rather than looking for a, even if, a, if somebody came to me and they had more experience and they'd assisted in other hike and fly comps, 
I'd go with you again because I know that we can work well. And that's the more, that's more important than, than how many races you've done. The fact that you and I could work together well was, I, you know, we'd maybe get a different driver. Someone who can actually drive the van. <laughs> I don't think Troy would ever do it again. I'm not surprised. I was telling him before we went about how hard it was going to be. I was like, you kept saying holiday. I was like, Troy, you're not going on holiday, mate. I was like, this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. I was like, you might some nights get three to four hours of sleep. You've got to get up in the morning before you even think about making yourself a cup of coffee. All my stuff's got to be sorted yeah. out. I've got to be ready to go. You've got to just think. At no point should you be thinking about yourself for the next week. It's going to be, yeah, no, 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 mate. It's like, shoot. Because Troy's super enthusiastic about everything. Like, a lovely guy. Yeah, you're not going to meet a nicer guy. He's a brilliant guy. Great mate. But I think he massively underestimated. Yeah. You know, I think he did. And I think he underestimated how how focused I was going to be and you know I had a setback but fuck it, I'm still going let's go boom because he said to me after he's like honestly some days he said I thought Wes is going to fucking quit there's no way fucking that's just too much I said and you turn up for the van and you were just like ah, right okay I need this ready and this ready we've got to go on with this and, and I was just like fuck and I said mm. yeah that's what I was trying to say to you before this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done because I knew it was going to be the hardest thing that I'd ever done yeah. But it's it's in sprints. I think as, as the driver is in sprints because it's like we need you in the morning, and then suddenly we don't really need you, and then we need you again, and then, yeah, yeah. so it's kind of boring. And then suddenly it's like bam, 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 and then it's boring again for a bit. And then it's so it's, it's like a like a false rhythm. And I think yeah. when you you kind of are assisting, you're always kind of looking at the weather, always looking at what the other guys are doing, what kind of line are you on, you know, all this kind of stuff, and just try. So it, there's always stuff to do. I think as a driver, it can be a bit passive in yeah. that kind of sense it's like oh I've got to make the gloves and prepare his coffee and then I've got nothing to do for three hours yeah and the charge and the battery is like make sure to charge the battery the battery yeah. is charged up the second there's a green light comes on one of them get it off and get another battery on charge mm. just little things I think like, I would have Troy in a team definitely but I would have Troy with his bike and the driver could say right I'm going to drop you off here cycle back to Wes give him drinks if he needs to cycle alongside him I'm going to go on ahead and then Troy would be great in that role because he's, he's like he's he's upbeat and he's he's good for morale, you know. He's like sometimes too upbeat. <laughs> he's uh, no, he's good for morale and he's a great mate and he'll do everything he can to make sure you're okay. But there's nothing about paragliding, and I don't know if I'd have him driving the van, but <laughs> breaks the fucking clutch pedal. <laughs> no, he would, uh, but yeah, so I would definitely I'd have him in the team again, but. I would definitely use you as an assistant, or I'd ask you as an for an assistant. You know, so it's nice to know that you'd consider doing it again. Yeah, definitely. But for for me next year, I think like you, just go get some Volbiv in, maybe Borns to fly or something. Yeah. Apply for that. Or, yeah, definitely. Yeah, try and look at something a bit. Smaller. So many out there these days. Like even just a one day race, I think is is gives you in, a lot of insight. Like, yeah, it's it is. A lot of you know daisy gathering and kind of use these small events as not really about winning but kind of like understanding how to get better and then on the actual race xper you just turn up on the day yeah and i think that's kind of what what's probably that would be the plan yeah because i did like the the, the dragon hiking flying wells so fuck oh, that yeah. up i just we were there and we i was second to the top of the first turn point um rob got there top of me but he's a you know ultra marathon runner um and he got there before me and i was second up to the turn point there and uh i'm at the top um and 
everyone's around. We're sat waiting for an hour, hour and a half or something. And then uh, I'm uh, sat there. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm sat there watching. People are taking off, flying on the... Nah, it's not one yet. Taking off, flying, top landing. Taking off, flying, top landing. And people are on and off the mountain. And I'm just sat there watching, thinking it's not ready yet. I've not done a UK XC before 12 o'clock yet. It's 11 o'clock. Watch it. Next minute, boom, climbing out. I'm like, what the fuck? Is, what, what's going on? Get all my kit ready. Go to get in the thermal. Miss it. They climb out. I'm like, shit. So I'm on the ground looking, watching. They climb out. They go. Boom. The gaggle goes. I'm like, next gaggle, push forward. Take another climb. They go. I try to get in it. Can't get in it. Land, top land again. Sat there for three hours before the next thermal came through. Jesus. Got away in it. But by then, I'm, you know, 30k behind. Like, really suffered. All because it's a hiking fly race. You be ready to go. Be ready to go. Stop thinking. But that's like, what, what we're saying is, uh, in the experience, is you get on top. First thing you do, you know, you get yourself sorted. Eye open and glide. Everything is, is ready to go. And in the second is good, you yeah, got to go. You go. Yeah, it's it's different. It's not it's not XE flying. It's not no. comp flying. It's hiking fly. It's you don't know what's going to happen. It's unpredictable. It's different. Everything's changing. You have so to many adapt. Options. So many options, you know. And sometimes the option is get to the top of a mountain. The option is nope. Let's go. Boom. Straight away. Walk on. Let's move immediately. Mm. You know. And that's uh, getting that experience doing them more will be great. This over this season, some Volbeard, some hike and fly, yeah, and then uh, build build some more experience to take into twenty twenty. Hopefully, seems so long, so far away. It's gonna be quick. Yeah, I think it's gonna creep up very quickly. X Alps next year. I mean, I'm I I'm shocked there's not a British pilot in the X Alps. Steve. Steve, yeah, above all. I'm assuming he applied. He said he was applying, so I'm assuming he applied. Unless he's a reserve, he might be a reserve. But then again, even if he's a reserve, like... You would have thought that... He had a great yeah. year. Because looking at... Line, I mean, there's great pilots everywhere in the lineup, but it, yeah, I was a bit surprised that some people, yeah, got in and others didn't. Yeah, so. and especially because he's a Brit and the British paraglider market's big. Drawing, drawing that enthusiasm from the British community to support someone in surely that would have been a good marketing for Red Bull and for the X Alps would have been to have a Brit in it. And I was yeah. shocked because he really had a great, um, amazing X pair, an amazing X pair, a really good hiking fly season. So maybe they were dreading the visa situation post Brexit. And <laughs> <laughs> he's not able to get out there <laughs> yeah I mean I can't well I, can, I can't, go down, can't go down the Brexit road I can't go down the Brexit road there's too much Brexit politics in paragliding anyway oh. the amount of pilots who will be sat down they hear Brexit their ears Tim Pentry's looking at you <laughs> I need to, I said to Tim about coming on and discussing Brexit with me on, the, on a podcast He's like, um, I'm not sure. <laughs> Six hours on. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, so I'm shocked, really, that, he, that yeah. he didn't get in. I mean, maybe he's a reserve and he'd be a great reserve. Because he was injured during the XPR, which a lot of people didn't know or yeah. forgot about. And he pushed out there in front with a lot of the really good guys. Yeah. He, I mean, he had such a great race. Yeah. Pilot skills were brilliant in the race. And 
as you said, he was injured, but on the ground, he didn't. You would have never known. He like great no. pace on the ground. So I think one of the guys that really impressed me as well is uh, Maxim Pino. Yeah, he was really impressive um, because he he's you know proper comp background, so mm-hmm. not really kind of fitness kind of oriented and really kind of just went all out on this and you know never never hiding that his objective is the XL. Yeah, and uh, he got in, so that's uh, really happy for him. Yeah, I mean. Pilot-wise, I don't think you can ask for a better pilot to be in the no. X-Alps. And then his... Tra- I don't know if you followed his training up to yeah. the X-Pier, running like Crazy. ultra-marathons, like placing top two or three in ultra-marathons regularly. Reg- so, and he had a massive team of pilots with him for really the X-Pier. Good really, really yeah. good team. Because um, he had uh, what well, his girlfriend and yeah. um, his um, Laurie, yeah, uh, and then and then you had also uh, Jeremy Lager, so mm-hmm. ex team advance, and I didn't know the third guy, but I know he worked with Neil, you know the the brand of harnesses. Okay. So uh, the, again, three guys in the van paragliding. Yeah, yeah. You know, you 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 know. None of which big... were his driver. <laughs> They're all three, yeah. three yeah. amazing pilots. Yeah. None of them are his driver, so well, he s- they can all fly. What's interesting as well, you could see on some of the videos when they were taking off from like peak door or whatever, and all three of them were there. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think as a morale boost, you're going as a group as yeah. opposed to by yourself or with just one person. Yeah, and yeah. you've got the yeah, like, that is a massive plus. And I think he you know, you've got to, team flying is not allowed, but you have to approach the X pair like it was the X Alps if you're someone like Maxime who's going to be doing his first X Alps. He had to approach the X pair like the X Alps and say, right, this is how we're going to fly the X Alps, so we need to fly the X pair like that. And we're not going to team, we're not going to team fly, but at the same time, you know, you're going to fly when I fly. You're going to, like, you know, you're going to take off first. If there's any thermals out there, I'll come out mm-hmm. and I'll join you, but I'm not going to be the first pilot off here and take the risk. That no. was exactly how it should be. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think I'm looking forward to seeing how Maxime does. Definitely, because is his is his first one, um, and it's a big like, it's a big race this year. Like the names in the in the X Alps. When when I was looking through and I was seeing these names of like Willie Canelli and people like that, and it's coming up like rookie, rookie. I'm like, you guys have never done it before, like, and they'd never done it before. And Gavin's in it again. I never knew that Gavin was going to do. I thought his last one was going to be his last one. He's re-signed back up, so Gavin's in it again. Nick Nayland is back again. Yeah, it's yeah. A good. It's good. It's going to be really interesting. Do you remember the post that um, Maxim wrote on his Facebook? After, After yeah. That was a very interesting yeah. inside in, in look into the, the, the mentality and the kind of like the mental health aspect of it mm-hmm. as well, which is it is pushing you to the limit, yeah. really to the limit. Yeah, um, it was... When you see someone of that caliber put a post like that, it makes you realize, and hopefully it makes other people realize what it takes. Because, so I knew mentally, I I wouldn't break. I mean, you've been on your back, getting elbowed in the face in a cage, and you all you've got to do is tap for it to be over. So I knew look, it's got to be something really bad for me to quit. I'm not just gonna want out you know so I knew the mental side of it was really my in my favour I knew I was going to be mentally strong but then you see someone like Maxime who you know that this is his game paragliding is his game he's got lots of experience mountain flying and he still is commenting about how how the mental side of it was so you know how it affected him how how much work it was mentally in a race like that and you think 
shit, it is a big, it is big. Because mm. I remember getting home and I got home that night. We all got back here. I came into my house and I got in and I was like, fuck, like, like yeah. just yeah. literally like, wow, like, man, like, not just relieved that it's over, but I wish it would have gone on, but relieved in that you were like, fuck, I don't have to wake up in the morning and, and think about what's going on next, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's a massive task, massive, massive task. Uh, every uh, all, all point of view, it's a massive, massive taking. I think, yeah, people out there following the race, they don't understand it. Even the guy who ended up dead last, like the the effort just to get to Laroon yeah. and, and take off yeah. on that day is already like an achievement. Most people will be like proud of themselves. And then not do anything else for a week. Yeah. But then there it's like, boy, why well, you just landed 20k? We'll pack it up and get back up. Then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sucks to be you, mate. Exactly. Yeah. And this is what I think as well is these these races, which is what actually quite good because they did this article with um, Termic magazine showing the, the the end of the race because we always kind of glorify the front of the race but never the the, the back of it. Yeah. And, and you got featured as well with Luca Tony. Uh, the Spanish guy Javier Jamon whatever his name is <laughs> I just can't remember Jose I can't remember his name Monster he was impressive as well because um, one I mean those super hot days and we're talking about and you were just on water calculating your calories and stuff you were just whacking beers out of beers. Aldi and just like just downing them when you said to me that day I was walking the valley you said we saw the Spanish guy up on the mountain I was like what was he doing you are like drinking beer I was like what did he not fly like no he flew (laughs) what it's like 100 degrees he's drinking beer and flying and I'm walking through the valley yeah Yeah. this guy's got it right (laughs) fuck yeah it was fucking yeah it's hard it was good but no I had a great like it was I had a great time I really uh, I really enjoyed it and it's it's hard to uh, because we've had a, a gap of not seeing each other it's uh, and not flying with each other. It's hard to sort of uh, to it was hard to sort of say to you before like you know like, yeah I think you did brilliantly as well as I did do was because of you and your help it certainly was and as shit as I did do well it's all your fault as well. Good. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, there's no taking away from the fact that however good I did and everyone who says like, oh you would did great just for doing this. That was a team effort, you know? And yeah. I mean, as a team, it worked well, so... Yeah. We'll see how it goes a lot in the of, uh, A lot of things... Uh, I've already done the started list right when we came back with all the stuff that I would I would change, all the stuff that I would, uh, you know, do better for for next time as well. There's, well, it was, it was fresh, just kind of listing things and stuff. So, uh, yeah. bring on bring on 2020. Definitely. And what's your plans uh, now... Comp wise for next season, if you're not gonna comp fly, gonna no, I don't think I'm gonna. Yeah, so the, I just need to get back into into just normal flying, do more hours. The the thing is that um, the past couple of years I've been flying, you know, thirty forty hours a year, which is pathetic. Yeah. And you can't turn up to to the comps, you know, hoping for results compared to other people who've been flying one hundred fifty hours plus. Uh, so yeah. I think it's it's first and foremost, you know flying for fun as well so i think i was just chasing that that pwc quality those letters and stuff and not really focusing on fun and i think the, the bivy stuff really you know really attracts me and looks just so much fun 
just kind of yeah. this proper adventure. You kind of go for a couple of days yeah. with your mates. Tim Pentreef's video. Did yeah. you see when he did that? How great did that look? Yeah, it was amazing. It did look great. So uh, I'm not gonna lie, that. I mean, that's, I'm looking forward to trying something like this this year. A couple of them, you know. I I think I'd like to go to the Pyrenees and try something in the Pyrenees early on. Um, but yeah, it does look great, something like that. Yeah. So yeah, I think. Uh, I don't know about comp flying for me. Maybe I'll get some comp flying in this year. I don't know. Financially is the one for me because not even not being able to afford it, but work, I run my own business. I can't, if I take yeah. a week off work, I want to go have a week of venture, you know? Yeah. So let's say I take, and a week's generally not going to be enough for a good comp. It's going to want at least 10 days. Yeah, at least. At least 10 days. So let's say I take two weeks off in a year. Well, if I spend those two weeks doing family stuff, flying and stuff then I, I, I do flying stuff and I don't do any family stuff let's say then you know that's that's a big commitment to comp flying which then I'm not going to get to go and do any bowl biv where am I going to go on holiday with fam so I don't know I, like comp wise I certainly won't be in Colombia in February I won't either it's too close to Christmas too expensive <clears throat> Yeah, too expensive. Too I would expensive. love to go to Col- I mean, fight in Colombia, not Colombia. Yeah. <laughs> Colombia. <yeah. Columbia. laughs> no, I went to Colombia and I really wanted to fly out there. It was the wrong season. It was I was there for a wedding, but yeah, it's too much for me right now. And to be fair, my kit is probably fucked. I mean, my my harness is fucked. Fuck, yeah. Like they they had to cut the straps um, to get me out, so no one's going to repair it. Uh, and then the wing needs some proper checking and, and yeah, I think I'm just going to give it a miss for, for, for this season. Just kind of, you know, I think, you know, it's interesting because when you, you got that, that grass that was green elsewhere and when you fly in the UK and you're like, oh man, I wish I was in France. Oh, look at the triangles in Austria. Oh, and then it's like, you could just go out there, you know, you're in Bristol, I'm in Cardiff and 45 minute drive and you got XC spots everywhere. Yeah. You might not be 300k a day. But yeah. you can get out there and fly as well. So I think I'll focus, with, I'll focus on local stuff. A lot yeah, well, well, Wells is there. Like, it's got everything. It's got, yeah. you know, like, like great conditions. If it's on, great conditions for hike and fly. Some really good conditions for hike and fly, you know. You can have a really good hike and fly weekend in Wells. I was talking to Greg about this. Um, Greg Hamilton, when he when we did yeah. the Dragon, he said, like, I, I come here and I can just go have a, week, a good weekend. I land somewhere. I know... Everyone speaks English. Everything's okay. It's cost me nothing to get here. And you really can have a good hike and fly weekend. Then we've got Scotland. Scotland really produced this year for some good flights. Yeah. I had some great flying up there. So I'll try and get to Scotland a bit more a lot this year. Though. It's a bit more wild to go up. Exactly. Out yeah, it's a lot more wild. But if you can get a good weekend on the uh, on on the weather, if Rasp it's good for a weekend, I'll definitely be going up to Scotland a couple of times this next season. And um, doing some camping out and stuff, you know, some, vol- yeah. some truly Volbid stuff. Yeah. yeah. Just come to Geneva. Yeah, definitely come there. to Geneva. I want to get some Alps flying in because I'd like to maybe do Bournes to fly. Yeah. So we'll try and get some Alps flying in as well this year. But, you know, you could quite easily go over to Annecy for three days and do three days of decent flying, a three-day Volbid in Annecy. There's actually one thing that is great with hike and fly compared to UXC flying is you can get... You go for three days out there and you can do three days of hike and fly. It might not be, you know, a long, long flight, but you still be able to hike and fly down yeah. or something. And this is what is also, you know, attracting me a lot more towards hike and fly than just comp flying. Because 
come flying it has to be kind of you know properly it has to be the day it has to be the oh do i take the day or not as a hiking fly you just go out there and like yeah we'll just make the best out of off the day you know what i mean it's like it's saturday we'll just get the best out of it that's that's it's a different kind of view which yeah. i appreciate as well yeah yeah i agree so back to your accident we might as well go back over the shit bits again i guess yeah <laughs> um, let's just keep dragging that up go on um what do you think in the realms of SOV or acro stuff, do you think it played a part or you were too low or you're a massive advocate of it? How, how do you think? I think, um, so I, I haven't done a, a proper SIV, if I call it, yeah. uh, in a couple of years now, but I would always, you know, if I was back home uh, in Salev in Geneva, you know, there's that acro box and you would always try to like stall the, the Enzo or do a couple like dumb shit like that just to get like um train a bit but one thing uh, is i think SIV are great to to make you understand you know and realize the g-forces and how like all these kind of stuff that yeah. it needs to click really quickly especially with the, with the glides that we're flying yeah, yeah they they are like uh they are beasts yeah you can so, go wrong very quickly look so i was saying with somebody somebody was talking somebody about sov um only like two months ago or something on the hill and they're like, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, do I, I want a good message because I want to be like a safer pilot. I'm like, an SIV won't make you a safer pilot. You're not, no. you're no safer because you've done SIV. All SIV is going to do is allow you to understand what your wing's doing when something goes wrong. That, and that's not, when I say all it does is. And what you do as well, I think. Yeah. What the wing does when shit goes, but then also what you do because some people are just incapable they just yeah, get because, frozen I mean, you know the what thing mean? for me is I've heard so many people say I don't know what happened the wing just went batshit crazy well I've never had that happen I mean you saw that huge collapse I took with my skywalk when I had my hands off the brakes <laughs> yeah yeah. so that massive collapse I had even when it happened I knew exactly what was going on I just had no brakes in my hand I couldn't control it I just had to sit and wait but I always knew there's no the reason you don't know what's happening and the wing goes batshit crazy is you haven't got enough experience of the wing going batshit crazy, let's say. So when I say all it teaches you is what's going, that's the most important thing. If you know what the wing's doing, you know how to react or how not to react might be most important. To do nothing might be even better, you know. Let the wing do what it needs. I knew when my wing went went batshit, I knew I just, fuck. I don't fall, just don't fall into it, which I couldn't really help, which I had to just hope I didn't fall in. Don't fall into the wing. And then the second you get a chance, just fucking try and like, correct it. So it's that good batch. I had no control of anything. Held the risers. Collapsed. I ended up in a twist. Held the twist in because I didn't want the, the glider to surge again as I'm coming out of a twist. Yeah. So I held the twist in because then I knew at least I'm facing forward. And if the wing surges again, I can see what's happening. If I was coming out of a twist as it surges again, I didn't want to fall into it. So I held the twists in and I waited. The wing settled down. Under the twist, I was happy, but I was happy because I knew what the knew what the wing was doing, and that for me is what SIV gives you. You should do an SIV just to understand what's happening. Mm. It's not going to make you safer because you you can't control the air. You're no. not going to predict when this when this patch of bad air gets you. You're not going to predict this random yeah. thing happening. But when it does happen, you're going to understand what's happening, which is going to allow you to say, "I should do this. I shouldn't do that." etc so the one thing i'd say with SIV as well is you know it is like in a lab you you are above a lake there's a guy with a radio 
you got your little um, floating, uh, yeah. you know, what I mean, life jacket, life jacket, everything. So I think it's 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 very safe. It's good, but it's not realistic of actually how it will happen in real life. I think, and this is so it is good, but it has its limits. I, I'd say so. Kind of like the day you're above this massive spine, and you know shit happens um if you've got to control it you've got to get get out there and i think it's it's two different kind of situation one is about i think it's siv is equally about building confidence yes. in yourself as well and understanding how stuff happens you can actually control it and stuff and, and say okay i am ready to fly in in these sort of conditions but at the same time it is also very controlled environment yes and that is something again if, if we push to towards the uh, certifications I think is one of the big problem with them. People are like, oh, but it's an EMB, it's a high B. It's it's yeah. it's like I I got a friend that was a test pilot, uh, doing the um the test in in Villeneuve, and you were like, yeah, I mean we're above a lake, you know, and we got everything is 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 perfect, it's calm and stuff. And it's like, well, imagine the same thing happens, you know, that fifty percent frontal when you are, you know, leak side or you know something, you know, different conditions. It's not the same. No. It's not the same wing. And these guys who are on their B wing, mid B wing, they're happy. They're thermal in. They're wingtip to wingtip with another B glider. Below them is three other gliders thermal in the same thermal. They take a fifty percent collapse that they've never experienced before because they haven't done an SIV. The wing turns slightly. Now the guy who they're wingtip to wingtip with, it's got to avoid to go, got to avoid them to um to. It's got to make, got to do something to avoid them because they're falling now into them. The three people below them have got to hopefully see them that that's happening, and they've got to try and avoid. So now your your B wing has done nothing out of the ordinary, nothing you wouldn't expect a B wing to do with a 60 percent collapse. But because you haven't put any input in, now you're putting the risk of everybody else who's in that thermal yeah. with you, just simply because. And it was a B wing, and it was benign in comparison to a D wing collapse or a C wing or a um, comp wing collapse. But that B wing collapse can become something really dynamic and really dangerous because now everyone who's next to you has to avoid you, or if they can't see you, you're now hitting somebody else. You're having to avoid somebody else. So the the certification is, and people shouldn't get hung up on the certification. Yeah, certainly it's, it's indicative. In yeah, exactly. That's what it is. And then. Even if you are going to get... I don't think you should say to me, it's only a B-Wing if you've never done an SIV on a B-Wing. Yeah. But I think the SIV as well is, 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 the, is the start. Because I think people say, oh, you've got to do one per year. And they're just marking in a calendar. Like, yeah, yeah. check, like you've, I don't know, put oil in your, in, your, in your car. It's kind of like, no, it's not exactly like that. I think it's the opening of, let's do some acro, let's do some other stuff. And I remember the... The first couple of wings I had, I could barely sell them. Like literally bought them new or secondhand. Then I was doing sats, headies, and all sorts of shit with it, flying in all sorts of conditions, and a lot of kiting, you know, all sorts of stuff. And then going up suddenly to a higher level um, aspect ratio wing was not that much of a problem because we got used to these. But these B wings are, are, you know, you could do sats with them. You could do all sorts of stuff. Yeah. It's not a problem. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They're dynamic, you know. Look, like B wings are dynamic yeah. to, to nowadays. And I've done a SOV on a B wing, a C wing, Ice Peak, um, an Amiga, 
uh, no, not Amiga, Emset Mantra 6. So yeah. I've done, on four different wings, I've done SOVs and, you know, some SATs and stuff and started doing some mild acro stuff. So, and I've had all of them go tits up on me, you know, like dynamic exit stalls on an Ice Peak 7 that have come out of yeah, Twisted yeah. and you have to sort of, I've had it go tits up on me. And when they've gone tits up, none of them seem more dynamic than any of the other. Once it goes tits up, it goes tits up. Then you're just fuck because it's the only chance are you might get more chance of a cascade on Ice Peak 6 than you did on the um, on an Arctic or something, you know. But once it's gone tits up in that moment, it's going to require the input yeah. or I'm going to need to know what's happened, you know. So Yeah, but you know what? This certification as well and these, these seeming... I remember back in the day with my friend, uh, uh, my best friend Guillaume, we would... We had uh, Aspen, like, I think it was Aspen 3 or whatever. Like, it's so old now. And we, we used to do tumblings with them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, you, you could, you, it was an ideal acro wing and XC wing. So you, you would get, like, a 22, uh, a size 22. I mean, you, you, could, you could do tumbling without a problem. Yeah. And that kind of shows you how dynamic these wings are as well. Yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, but it's just a C. It's like, I've, yeah. I've looped I've looped B gliders you know in doing wing overs yeah. loop B gliders doing wing overs because you can make it dynamic especially if you're heavy and yeah. I mean I remember I got on Tom's Delta just jumped on it and I, he's like oh, I'll go and throw it around so I went out there and I was in his um, uh, XR7 as well so I, I got on it not realising I'm now 9 kilos overweight just didn't think just got him went and flew he was flying my mantra for just even at Westbury when I do a win over one right one left one right I looped it on the third pull got a 50% collapse as I'm exiting the the loop spun, spun a little bit caught the surge boom carried on flying it just that extra nine kilos just all of a sudden caught up with yeah. me just caught up with me quick you know I was just it was that dynamic I mean, yes I was nine kilos over but that sea glider became super dynamic super powerful I knew what was going on and I got the collapse as I'm over the top of it, I got the collapse, looking at it, so I knew what was going to happen when I came out, I knew I was going to probably spin, it was all fine, it was fine, but, there was just, I was nine kilos overweight, and it, it became that dynamic, with something so stupid, as nine kilos overweight, you know, so, yeah. it, it is dangerous, and, I had that collapse, where I am, um, on the, little cloud gyps, I don't know if you've ever seen the video, no, where no, I, the I, know, I, I know the wing, round. I know yeah. the wing though, so, just, it was just a bog standard nice day, and I don't think I'd have got the collapse on my Zeno if I'm honest. Um, but I'm flying, like everyone's flying, like I'm just flying along, and I'm probably, probably 15, 20 meters tops off the ground. Take a 50% asymmetric on the right hand side, and the glider starts to spin, and I go to counter the spin, which I do, I do counter, counter spin, but now I'm looking at the hill, and I was like, fuck, what do I do? And I decided not to correct it and just take the hit on the hill, because I think if I would have tried to, I would have stalled the glider, because this 50% had gone, and by the time it was coming out, it was turning me into the hill, I'm now flying up the hill, so if I would have tried to counter steer, I'd have maybe spun it or stalled it. I see, yeah. So I decided to take the wall, the wall up on the hill, and I hit the hill hard, but... um. I did put my legs out and I caught on my bum and I sort of skidded along. In hindsight, never land on your ass if you can land on your feet. But I walked away injury free. But it came out of nowhere. Came out of nowhere, even after doing lots of SIV on Ice Peak Seven, uh, Ice Peak Sixes and stuff. And it came out of nowhere, boom, there was nothing I could do. I was 20 metres off the ground. I had to take the impact, boom. If I'd have been on a cliff edge, 
Who knows? You know, like, would yeah. I slid down the rocks? Would I have been stranded? I mean, I'm, I may even be able to find the video and you can see it because it is on YouTube. Um, let me see. Where's Gyps, <laughs> maybe? Martin Harris put it on. I didn't put it on. Yeah, it is here. Yeah, that was quite convenient. Uh, how many? There's four likes. Four, four, four people loved it. <laughs> Eight hundred sixteen views. So this is me here. So by then I'm. Yeah. So it slows it down now for you. So I mean, it's a big collapse out of nowhere. It's a really benign day. It's a pretty big collapse, you know. Was that seventy percent? Oh say? yeah, oh de yeah, definitely. So I'll just rewind a little bit. But it's quite, so then, it's a quite interesting. Is it's very central? Yeah, it, it's not the tip. It's really weird. Yeah, yeah it's a strange, uh, it's a strange. So here it comes again. So it's, I mean, at, at least seventy-five percent. Yeah, see, it's very yeah in the middle. Yeah, and then so it comes out, and now this is where I could have turned away. I've still got a big cravat here. This is where I could have turned away from yeah. the heel, but I was worried I'd spin. You can see that you're really pulling as well on the on the left as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm thinking I've done everything I can do. I, I've watched this video so many times now. But there you're falling off. You know, 15 meters. There you're hitting five. Yeah, that, exactly. That is the math, really. So I'm looking at it now, and having SIV just taught me enough that I'm I've got enough break on my uh, on the left hand side to stop me spinning in, but enough that I thought if I put any more, I'm gonna stall this. So mm. I decided to fly into the hill, which I think was the right decision completely. Yeah. Having watched the video back so many times, and the impact is you can see I bounce, but it's not. Obviously, when I land the cravat, still in. I can't clear the cravat. I hit the ground now. And I bounce, so yeah. it was out of nowhere, you know, and it was low, and I couldn't. Is that what I couldn't do anything? Yet. I, I think I did everything, and it bothered me to the point I put a post on Facebook about it, and lots of people watched the video, and top pilots were messaging me like, "I've watched the video. I think you did everything right." And it didn't ever put me off flying. I flew the next day. I went the next day. Went out on my yeah. Zeno, flew the same heel because it didn't put me off. But it was that bit in my head thinking. Did I do the right thing? Have I did enough? Could I have done more it's as a pilot? You know, watching it back, I think I did the right thing. I did enough, and that's all because the yes, I think it's from SOV. So I think do it like whatever yeah. when you're flying. It was also about good decision making. Being like, okay, I'm going to take a hit. Taking the hit is better than you know anything else. It's kind of what happened to me in a way. It's kind of it's better you too low to throw a rescue. To rescue yeah. the shoot, okay. What can I do to not hit as hard as possible? Yeah. Um, um, I should have kept it. I'm actually getting a photo. I got my helmet was was cracked, like over the back, like really, all, like over like ten times. So you hit the ground hard with your head then? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I had like. Um, Were you knocked out or you remained yeah. conscious? No, I was knocked out for. I was told like five minutes, something like that. Other people came and landed with you, or you landed on takeoff. I, I literally just below takeoff. Oh, okay, so people just ran down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, actually, um, oh, I can't remember his name now. I hate it. Um, it it was a doctor, so he actually was. It's a surgeon that was doing the comp as well. Where was he I think from? Aaron, from London. Uh, I think his name is Aaron. Aaron, uh, but he was really helpful. Um, Harry was there as well really yeah. helpful everyone was everyone was really really helpful yeah it was Harry who messaged me first of all when it happened um, but so you were helied off the hill yeah 
How yeah. did it go insurance-wise? Did they look after you, or did you have any hassle? Or so, thanks to the EU, yeah. uh, <laughs> thanks to the EU, uh, you don't have to pay for any of that. So, um, so it's an interesting point. So, with EU travel insurance, uh, which which I had, um, you essentially they you got a claim first. You show your EU health card. Yeah, and then if the EU health card is not taken into account, your insurance covers it. But you've got to show your EU card first that you get to hospital. Otherwise, okay. they'll bill you for it. Yeah. Essentially. So uh, like, be careful if you have like, you know, and, and there's loads of rules as well. The insurance has got to be careful because a lot of these insurance are tailored for people who go to Magaluf, get drunk, and then lose their suitcases. Essentially, that's, that's what they tailored. So for me, there was a lot of chat about like, are they going to cover this? Are they going to cover that? And in the end, to be honest, they, they covered pretty much everything. And I'm yeah. still on, ongoing with the wings. I need to check it and uh, and stuff. But um, yeah, no, thanks to to the EU, the helicopter was taken uh, care of uh, for five, five days in hospital. Everything was free, essentially. Yeah, awesome. All, all sorted out, yeah. Yeah, that's really good. And then just a long drive back to Long drive back, Geneva. yeah. yeah. How was that drive? I was just tired, you know, I felt, probably fell asleep, you know, I was just, these days, I, w I remember, I would, I would sleep about 14 hours a day. Medication? No, no? But, but, um, I had some painkillers, but that, that was it, uh, and they gave me some um, uh, antibiotics as well, just in case, uh, for the lung, they were worried yeah. about um, some uh, infection or something, uh, but other than that, no, I was just so, so tired. For yeah. someone who usually just wakes up with an alarm at 7 on a Saturday, like I was like knocked out like uh, like properly. I would, I would Your sleep body's so just so I, yeah, and just trying yeah, to fix yeah. yourself. Yeah, yeah, and it's still still going. On. I got decent range of movement, but I'm still not hundred percent. Stick with the rehab. Don't neglect that rehab. No, no, I've been trying to do as much as possible. Yeah, it'll fuck you. I mean, you, what you got to think of is can you be sat in a flying position for four hours? You yeah, know, that's a weird position to be sat in. So stick with that rehab. You know, get that hand above head like rehab back and be to the point where you can sit there and you can be pulling i mean even five kilos of tension for four hours yeah. is a lot just get that back well, you know put it this way the moment i was walking in the park the other day on the phone and after 20 minutes my shoulder was just like i was like oh god like just i, I, I did like pull-ups for an hour and just being on the phone for 20 minutes <laughs> <laughs> so weak so now weak. come back just don't neglect the rehab no. um so listen time's cracked on you gotta go pick up your dad from the airport I do um Kev, it was great to catch up on here. Um, should have faster. And we, yeah, we should have done it faster. Yeah. But it was great to just catch up and have a little chinwag about the X peer, etc. Um, and I'm glad you're okay. Thanks. And I'm glad you're uh, <laughs> glad you're focused and thinking about how you can fly. So this year we'll get out and do some more, and definitely. you'll definitely be on here again talking about throughout the season, like our little yeah. adventures and stuff. Shooters, definitely. But otherwise, mate, thanks very much. And thank uh, you. Yeah, catch up soon. See ya.